The first reading is taken from the first letter of Peter, chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. It can be found on page 252 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Peter exhorts the believers to stand firm and trust in God when facing difficult trials. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves, keep alert, like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. It can be found on page 234 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the writer speaks of Jesus as our high priest, who lived as one of us, and who, by his atoning death on the cross, defeated the one holding the power of death and freed us from the fear of death. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, He is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of the Lord. The third reading is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. It can be found on page 235 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the writer speaks of the penetrating power of the word of God, before marvelling at Jesus Christ as our great high priest, who we should approach with confidence. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, 
joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have our great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Teresa. Shall we pray together? Lord, as we gather in this place, we come to you in humility this morning. We pray as I speak your word, you would season it with salt, that what is of me would wash away, but what is of you would sustain us for our life to come. In Jesus' name, and for his glory. Amen. Imagine this scene with me. I remember this look as if it were yesterday. It's feeding time in the Pallant household and one of my children who will remain anonymous, although the urge to out them is very strong, has in their hands a spoon, a baby spoon. And from the look in their eyes, I can see that they're facing a test. I'm sure it's a test we might have faced as well too, although we may not remember it. The choice of option one said, I will put this spoon of food in my mouth. The choice of option two said, I will flick this spoon of food all over the table. I'll leave you to decide which option my sweet, innocent-faced child chose that day. You see, in that dilemma that my child faced, we encounter the very first, on the very first rung of the ladder, the final virus in this series, exploring, if you like, what are in actuality the most potent, contagious, and deadly viruses affecting our faith today. These viruses can operate, though, much more subtly, much more sinisterly, and they're designed to either make us backslide in our faith, falling back to a previous way of life, or to remain stagnant in our faith, failing to press forward. And our guide to keep us inoculated, if you like, from harm and overcome these viruses has been this letter to the book of Hebrews. And today's virus is one we all know well, perhaps too well. It's the virus we call temptation. As a virus, temptation actually behaves in a similar way to what a computer virus does, that it's sent to attack the operating system of each of our lives, which is our soul. In the same way that a computer virus can copy itself and spread exponentially in a detrimental way through 
corrupting your system or destroying data, so too can this virus of temptation weave its harmful malware and threats into your heart, causing chaos and leaving destruction in its wake. We often get told that the virus of temptation and overcoming it is all about a test of our self-control. It's all about a test of our willpower. But just like a computer virus can trick and mislead, so too can this virus of temptation. The virus of temptation always centers upon a test of our faith in God. It's designed to kill our faith in him. You see, when someone is tempted, we often say, don't we? We often might use the expression there, they're playing with fire. It's why I found with the virus of temptation in my own life, I need to have a fire wall in place. And for me, the best fire wall I've found to overcome this virus of temptation is what one commentator calls the central theme of this book of Hebrews, of listening to the voice of God in Scripture. Why? Because it was Jesus who said it, wasn't it? Knowing the truth frees you. Or as the writer to the Hebrews puts it in a few more words in chapter 4, listening to the voice of the word of God liberates us. It liberates us from temptation because it's firstly alive and active. It's secondly both precise and penetrating. And thirdly, it both unmasks and uncovers Listen very carefully. The voice of the word of God liberates you from this virus of temptation because it's alive. The Greek wording of that sentence would literally say living is the word of God, the life-giving very breath of God speaking truth into each of our lives to combat the virus of temptation. But not only we read alive, also active The voice of the word of God is active. The Greek word there is the word energies. Anyone guess what we might, English words we might get from that? It energizes us. It gives us the strength to not only detect, but also deliver us from this virus. The alive and active, if you like, firewall of scripture is alert to the threat. And the threat of this virus of temptation, we should Listen, I found to its voice. Because it speaks of how behind every temptation is a tempter called the devil. We read in scripture he's a living being. And who holds, as the writer to the Hebrews told us earlier in chapter 2, the power of death. And described in 1 Peter as our adversary. It always amazes me, I don't know about you, but it always amazes me how many Christians don't believe in the devil. You know, if you believe in God, why would you not believe in the devil? Because Jesus does. As C.S. Lewis wrote so famously in that best-selling book, The Screw Tapes Letters, consisting of a series of letters from a senior devil to a junior, one of how to tempt people. He wrote one of the two dangers to avoid when thinking of the devil is to disbelieve his existence. If you want to know the other one, 
You just get so fascinated with him that we can think of little else and suppose every ordinary thing in life, every problem, every difficulty, or someone's personality problems are due to some devilish behavior. And the voice of God in Scripture says to us that the devil is a fallen angel, a fallen angel of the highest order of angelic beings. If you read some of those Old Testament passages from Isaiah and Ezekiel, you see how he's the chief of the cherubim. Named Lucifer, who rebelled against God because of pride and became the devil. The devil is real. He's your adversary. He will tempt you. Don't dismiss him as a little person with horns and hooves wearing red tights. It's exactly what he wants you to think. Keep the voice of God in Scripture as your firewall because it will always be looking for the devil's adversarial approach even when you're not. He's described in this passage, isn't he, in 1 Peter as this this roaring lion. Think about that, the animal of the Roman amphitheater on the prowl looking for someone to devour. I'm sure we've all watched a Roman film or seen a David Attenborough wildlife program to imagine the terrifying picture before us. Quite literally, that Greek word for devour means this. It means to drink down or to gulp down in one mouthful. No time to protest or struggle. You'll be gone. The devil will try and swallow you by tempting you to live in ways which are destructive to your faith. Because all he's after is your annihilation. It's quite clear. And as we've read, he holds ever since he tempted Adam and Eve the power of death. But perhaps remember this on this day of Halloween, which might for some of us bring some new meaning to this day. That on a previous era, the Christians then would have been celebrating. Celebrating the on the evening of All Hallows' Eve when they would celebrate the victory of Jesus over the power of sin and death by his own victory on the cross. That's what Hebrews 2 verse 14 is declaring as reminding us that the devil's hold on death and life itself is limited. The writer to the Hebrews says, listen to the voice of God. Listen to the voice of God in Scripture. Jesus said, knowing the truth frees you. The Word of God is alive and active. But also, secondly, it's precise in its piercing and penetrating in its piercing and liberating you from this virus of temptation. You might ask, well, how sharp is that? How sharp is that? Well, we read, don't we, the precision the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Think not here of a, of a long sword. That's not what the Greek word means there. There's a different Greek word for that. Think perhaps better of a short sword, maybe a, a surgeon's scalpel, but perhaps best think of it as a long, sharp knife used for killing animals. How sharp? We'll feel the power in the metaphor that the writer uses, the precision of a knife where one pierce, one cut is enough. From either side of the, the blade, there's, there's no hacking involved here. 
And now notice the penetration of the knife's pierce. It can slice through anything, making the deepest impact upon our innermost selves, soul and spirit, flesh and bones. Listen to the power of the word of God. The writer to the Hebrews says, the precision, penetration of the two-edged sword of the firewall of scripture to the threat of this virus. We should listen to its voice because it will cut to the chase in overcoming the virus of temptation. It will just do that. It may move us to tears when we perhaps see what a fool we might have been at times. But it will also help and strengthen us. For what it tells us we read in this book behind every temptation is a lie. It's not that big a deal. It's harmless. Just this one time won't matter. Nobody would blame me. Everybody else is doing it. I'm only human. To perhaps keep the alliteration and virus theme going, temptation is a bit like a phishing scheme. One of those emails we get sent. The big lie at the heart of all temptation is one lie, actually, with many parts. It's the delusion that by giving into it, we can control a fear, soothe a pain, heal a wound, fill an existential void in our hearts and souls, the deepest part of our being. There are actually lies we may not even be aware of because they're hidden in things. We have trouble acknowledging. As James would write in his letter, feel the piercing sharpness of the sword of the word of God. Feel the piercing sharpness of the sword of the word of God for them, the one who died at the sword. Don't be deceived, my beloved, he writes. Don't believe the lie. Every temptation begins with a thought that captures our attention. What then captures our attention arouses our emotions. What then arouses our emotion lures and entices us in and our behavior changes and we act on what we felt and it's that action which gives birth to sin and eventually to death. And the writer to the Hebrews says, listen to the voice of God in scripture. Jesus said, knowing the truth frees you. The firewall The word of God is alive and active. Its pierce is precise and penetrating. And then, thirdly, we read that the word of God unmasks and uncovers in freeing you from this virus. Just listen to its words. The voice of the word of God liberates you because it unmasks. It exposes every thought and motive. Even the last great temptation, as T.S. Eliot wrote, in murder in the cathedral, doing the right thing for the wrong motive. And what we learn from listening to the voice of the word of God is to discern ourselves and liberate us from this, and it will liberate us from this virus of temptation. You see, sometimes it can be difficult If you actually look at your English Bibles, you'll find that in chapter 4. It could be difficult to determine whether we're being tested or whether we're being tempted. 
And actually the Greek word translated in our English Bibles as test or tempt is the same word. It's the word parazo. And the way we determine between the two or discern between the two is always their intention. What's the intention behind this? Is it a test or am I being tempted? God never tempts. He only tests to strengthen you. The devil tempts to devour you. And by listening to the voice of the word of God in scripture, we unmask, if you like, the scams of this virus. There are only three of them. They go back to Eden. Jesus faced them in the wilderness. The devil has no new tricks. Well, he doesn't need any because the old ones are still very effective. They're helpfully summarized for us in 1 John. The desire of the flesh. The temptation to feel. Or temptations related to passion. There's the desire of the eyes. In other words, the temptation to have. Or temptations related to possessions. And there's what we read, the pride of life. In other words, the temptation to be. Or temptations related to position. And we read, the writer says, no one will escape this exposure of the word of God. Quite literally, the picture he describes here is we're laid uncovered, laid bare and naked. Literally defenseless, as if in a neck hold with our legs then swept from under our feet at the discerning blade of scripture. That's the picture that he's trying to present through his words. And then it leaves us a choice. It leaves us a choice. Who do we want to fall upon the mercy of? Listen once more to the firewall of scripture as it unmasks and uncovers the word of God in this virus of temptation. It speaks of two options. You can fall upon the mercy of a devil described in the voice of the word of God as a roaring lion prowling around waiting to devour you or to the voice of God himself. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh described in our readings today in this way. Listen very carefully because the truth frees you. Our great high priest who is merciful and faithful because he became one of us and because he became one of us in flesh and blood he shared the same things that we shared in in every respect. He shared those temptations we face in every respect. He was tempted as we are in every way. That means every type of temptation we will face and have faced, Jesus has faced. It means there is not a temptation in life that Jesus has not faced. It means he's able to sympathize with our weakness, with one difference. As the writer tells us, he never succumbed to death. It means that the hold of the power of death for now may be still with the devil, but we no longer need to fear it because by Jesus' death, he made that sacrifice atoning of sins for the people. That's my sin and your sin. 
And that's not all, as was celebrated in centuries gone past on this All Hallows' Eve. We remember how Jesus defeated the devil and he freed you and me now from this fear of death. And so he says to each one of us, well, why wouldn't we approach the throne of grace with boldness so we may receive mercy and grace in our times of needs? Because in all of this virus, we will face, we will succumb because the devil's been doing it for a long time. But know this, when you and I fail, and you and I will fail, Jesus, the voice of God, is wholly adequate to pick us up. For he is with us. And we will then overcome and persevere by listening to the, his voice in scripture because knowing the truth frees you shall we pray together Lord Jesus we proclaim you as our merciful and faithful great high priest we remember how you became one of us, flesh and blood. You were tempted in every way, yet never succumbed to sin. In our weakness and sinfulness, may we know your truth, the word of God, the firewall of scripture freeing us We release its power to be alive and active, to be precise and penetrating, to unmask and uncover in our lives. Help us to approach your throne with boldness that we may receive as you promised your grace and mercy, your atonement and forgiveness. In your name and for your glory. Amen.